0: We've, uh, we've been working through uh, Luke chapter 15 and these three stanzas of the same parable. Uh, and the, the overall theme is our seeking, searching, saving God. We looked at uh, last Sunday morning, we looked at the seeking shepherd in the first seven verses. And then last Sunday night, we looked at the searching woman. And then this morning, we want to look at the saving father, the saving father. And we'll look at verses 11 through thirty-two, we won't get all the way through thirty-two this morning. We'll finish up this parable tonight, um, as we continue our thoughts in Luke chapter fifteen. Um, it's important to remember the overall, overarching theme in all three of these stanzas. Something precious was lost. It was restored, and then celebrated. First, it was a sheep, one out of a hundred. Thank you. Next time, just give it straight to me after you write it, okay? <laughs> um, something valuable, something precious, is lost, restored, and celebrated. Uh, we started off them at the sheep, one of a hundred. He left the ninety and nine to go get the one. Uh, one of ten coins was lost, and the woman uh, diligently worked through the house to find that one coin. And in both of these cases, when the sheep, when the corn was found, there was great rejoicing. And Jesus said that it's the same way with sinners, that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. Um, and Jesus continues this thought and this paradigm, moving in to this third stanza. We, we, tend, to, we tend to see this as, uh, you know, um, the, lost, the lost sheep, the lost silver and the lost son but the focus is not on that which was lost the focus is on the seeker and the same is true of this passage as well and so our audience is publicans and sinners but also scribes and pharisees and a little bit later we see that the disciples are there too in this passage in the part that we read this morning let's give a quick narrative of what we see we see a young son The younger of two demands his inheritance of his father. He would have only gotten one-third because the older son, by law and by custom, would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance. He would have gotten the remaining third. And so he takes it, and in doing so, he shows just disrespect doesn't begin to say what this young man shows to his father. What he's saying is, Dad, I want you to give me the money that I would only get if you were dead. As far as I'm concerned, Dad, you're already gone. I just want the money. That's pretty low, isn't it? That's pretty low. The father has a lot of things he can do here. He can tell him, I'll oh, go fly a kite. You'll get your money when I'm dead. He could say, all right, I'll give you a little bit of it and see how you do with it. But he doesn't. He gives it all to him. He gives it all to him. And so he takes off and he goes into a far country. And the idea behind that far country, we're not saying he left Israel and went to Syria or went to, you know, or went down to the Saudi Peninsula. No, he went a long ways away, several countries away probably. And he takes that, food, that, that money and he lives it up. I mean, he blows it on everything imaginable, all kinds of debauchery we assume, and he exhausts all Of his inheritance, and he is left with nothing. Incidentally, he didn't have any friends left either. People that were with him for his money when his money went away, so did the people. And now he finds himself alone. And to make matters worse, a famine comes. And there's nothing, there's no jobs to be had, there's no food to be eaten. So he finally does what a Jewish person would just think abhorrent he keeps swine. And he's so hungry that he, can, he considers eating the husks of the, the beans and the, the, uh, the plant material that's in that hog slop. He's in that bad a shape. But but in verse 17, it says he comes to himself. It's been my experience in my own life and with many of the with with I've ministered that some people Don't make the right decision until they come to themselves. Until they hit rock bottom. And can I tell you, I've had times in my life that I've prayed that for people. Lord, if they won't hear you, send them straight to the bottom. I've had that in my own life. This kid hits rock bottom, and he comes to his senses, and it hits him. What am I doing? I could go home right now, and even if my father doesn't receive me as a son, I'm sure he'd take me as a servant, and his servants live better than this. His servants have three hots and a cot, you know, and so he begins the journey home. There's a lot of ways that this father could have received him, and many of us would question whether or not his way was best. I mean... If you've had to exercise tough love on a kid, and then the kid comes back and they've they've messed up so many times before, aren't you tempted to say, I just, I don't want to enable this behavior. I don't want, we are, and that may be the right call in certain situations, but that's not what we see here. We see a young man making his way home and we see a father that is beside himself with glee and joy that his baby boy is coming down that path. Now remember, what's the theme? Something precious was lost, restored, and celebrated. Jesus is speaking to these publicans, these sinners that have so engulfed their lives with iniquity, that have made mistake after mistake, but he wants to get a thought across to them, and it's a thought that we need to get as well. If you're here today in any state, in any level of waywardness, you need to know that you are not dealing with a reluctant God that may or may not welcome you back. You're dealing with a heavenly Father who wants you back. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you are not conquering God's reluctance to be saved. You are just resting in his willingness to save you. If you're here and you're saved, but you've gotten away from God, you've gotten a bit prodigal yourself, I want you to know something. There's a path back. Amen. He'll restore you, he'll forgive you, and he'll start over with you. Tonight, I'm sorry to say that we're going to have to look at the story of a resentful Pharisee, that older brother, but that's tonight. This morning, if we're going to title this specific message, the five traits, not of a resistant or a resentful Pharisee, but a rejoicing Papa, a rejoicing Papa. So Father, would you help us to glean from this message exactly what we need? God, I need your touch today. And I need you to move me out of the way of this thing and bless your word and speak to hearts and have your will and way in this place in whatever measure that needs to be. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The five traits of a rejoicing Papa, you understand that the first stanza spoke of Jesus, the Son. The second stanza gives us some information about the Holy Spirit. This obviously speaks of the Father. And we've got we've to get away from this mindset of the Trinity in which the Father is austere and perpetually angry and ready to do away with us. No, Remember, God the Father not just exudes love, He is love. He is love. Now, that doesn't mean he's not holy and he's not going to judge sin. Of course he's going to do that. But understand something. God is love. Love was his idea. It originates with him. Salvation originates with him. And, and I grew up in a, in a culture in which I saw the father as being perpetually mad at me. Now, I'm going to touch on something here because it may help somebody. My father's in heaven. He can't defend himself, but I believe he'd be okay with what I'm about to say. When your children are young, before they are able to form their understanding theologically about God, let me tell you where they form their understandings about God. They form their understandings about God and dad. Dad is God to them. So if dad is inconsistent, God's going to be inconsistent. If dad's not there for them when he, they need him, then God's going to be seen that way. If, if, if dad falls away, then God fell away. we got a mighty big responsibility on us, dads. Right now, my son at five years old is learning about God, not just through Sunday school, not just through the Christian school he'll be in, Lord willing, in August, but through me. He's seeing God in my behavior. And my dad, if I'm honest with you, my dad was all the things that you wouldn't want a dad to be, and it warped my view of the father. But I'm learning as I get older. God's not mad at me. He's mad at sin. He's mad at what sin does. And he's going to. He's going to expect holiness, and at times he even has to chasten me. But my God loved me so much that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. My God loves me so much that he said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. My God loves me so much, he said, he'll supply all my need, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't know what your view of God is today, but I'm here to tell you that we're to see him as Abba, Father who adopted us and placed us into sonship and is never, ever going to forsake us. He loves you. And if you need to be saved, it's time to come to him. If you need to come back to him, it's time to do so today. Let's talk about this rejoicing papa. First of all, we see in him a rejoicing papa is one who's watching. He's one who's watching. Look at verse number 20. The son has decided to go home. He arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off his father saw him you know he's been rehearsing a speech the whole way and I'm sure he envisioned having to come to his door and he stood in front of this door and he took a deep breath and okay here's what I'm going to say and oh it's going to be hard to knock on that door can I tell you he didn't have to worry about that he never got anywhere near the door did he No, because his father was sitting outside, looking over the crest of that hill, every day watching for his boy to come home. Maybe you're away from God today. I want you to know something. You don't have to chase God down. He's waiting for you. He's watching for you. If you're here today and you've never been saved, I got news for you. You don't have to find Jesus today. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's looking for you. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I'm going to tell you something theologically that's going on right now. Holy Spirit's already dotted you. That's right. The Holy Spirit's already got his sight on you. The Holy Spirit's already saying something to your heart right now that you need to be saved. That's how it works. That's how it works. So I hope I can find Jesus today. Too late. He already found you. He's on top of this thing. The Father was actively watching and waiting and eager to restore his wayward son that's why he said earlier in verse 10 likewise i say to you there's joy in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner that repenteth what what parent in here if we had a child go wayward wouldn't welcome them back with open arms and rejoice looking for them all along a rejoicing papa is one who's watching I'll tell you what else a rejoicing papa is one who's been weeping He rose and came to his father. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Yep. I was reminded at the teen retreat: a great definition of compassion is your hurt in my heart. When's the last time we hurt for somebody else? Oh, we're real good at hurting for ourselves, aren't we? Yes, sir. When's the last time we wept over somebody else? When's the last time we wept over somebody else's need? And parents, when's the last time that you spent some time alone with God weeping for your kids? You say, well, my kids are doing all right. Praise the Lord. I'm glad they are. But you understand the devil wants them, right? You understand this world wants them and it wants to destroy them. That's worth weeping over. That's worth weeping over. Jude 22, and if some have compassion, making a difference. You see, this rejoicing papa is one who's watching. He's one who's been weeping, but you know what else? He's one who's been warding. Now, what do I mean by warding? If you ward something off, what are you doing? You're you're holding it off. You're protecting against it. He's been warding. What do I mean by that? Watch this. It says in verse 20, it says, He arose, came to his father. When he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. And you say, well, of course. I mean, that's the act of a loving welcome. It was, for sure. But there's something else going on there, too. You see, Deuteronomy 21. Now, I understand this is a parable, but the people hearing it would have understood how the law figured into this. Deuteronomy 21 said, if a son's rebellious and wouldn't do right, they could stone you for that. That's right. They could stone you for that. So when this father runs to him and falls on his neck, it's not just a heartfelt embrace. It's protective. Because that boy, having, having done his father dirty, having lived the way he lived, anybody had the legal right to pick up a stone and start chucking. Yeah. But they're not going to do it if the father is on his neck. Good. Can I tell you something? Nobody can hurl anything against me except that it goes through my father first. My father has protected me from so much. My father is protecting me from so much. And nothing can get to me that harms me except that the father in his wisdom allowed it. Because he's been warding off danger since the moment I showed up. And that's what rejoicing papas do. As a dad, you know, it's, it's interesting... I've never been one that enjoyed feeling pain. I don't have a high threshold for pain. But when it comes to your kids, there's just something about it. You don't mind feeling pain to protect your kids. If that's true of us, fallible fathers, fallible people, how much more true is it of a heavenly father protecting his children, warding off that which would injure them? This rejoicing papa is one who's been watching. One who's been weeping. One who's been warding. You know what else he is? He's warm. Now, there's a difference between warm and hot, isn't it? Now, we understand that the Bible's not real great on warm when it comes to our church activity. Laodicea said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. But I'm not talking about that kind of lukewarmness. I'm talking about a gentle, wonderful warmth. Because honestly, who in here wants to be cold? Who in here wants to be hot? No, those are extremes. Warm is just right. Just right. And we see in his reception of his son, this father is warm. He was warm in his embrace. Verse 20 still. We will get out of verse 20. He rose and came to his father. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants. He was warm in his embrace. He kissed him. I would assume that you hold roughly the same standard of personal hygiene that I do. It is unlikely that this boy on his way home stopped and took a shower anywhere. (laughs) This boy is covered. Forgive me for being crass. He's covered in pig manure. This boy is rank. This boy is filthy. This boy is nasty. And his father embraces him. And even... Kisses him. Why? Because that's his boy. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how certain circumstances adjust our gag reflex? Could we put it that way? Like, for instance, there's times my kids will come up to me, more, more Asher now than Claire, but Asher will come up to me and offer to share some piece of food he's been, or his drink. Dad, you want some of my drink? No. Worse still is when he's been drinking out of my drink, and I don't know. You see, my son, again, I'm not trying to gross you out, but my son at five years old is really good at, um, shall we say, additives. And what was once clear, cool drink now has pulp. Ew. That's gross. And that situation in and of itself is not enough to overcome that with me. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you if he's hurt and he comes to me covered in mud and blood, am I going to hesitate to scoop him up and soil myself in the process? Nope. Not going to hesitate because that's my boy. But you know what? He's not just warm. In his embrace, there, in the matter of, you know, kissing him, even though he's filthy and everything, there's a warmth, even, in an interruption. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. Look at verse number, uh, verse number eighteen. I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, "Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants." That's his speech. And he's been practicing that speech the whole way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. Father, I've sinned against heaven before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. Now, now, go back to verse 21. The son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, what happened there? He interrupted him. He didn't let him finish. He didn't let him get to the part about being a servant. Hey, son, stop it right there. You're my son. You've asked forgiveness. And by the way, there's a wonderful truth here. Yes, he sinned against his brother. He sinned against his mama. He sinned against his testimony. He sinned against every person that he misled while he was out living in debauchery. He sinned against all these people. But what does he say? I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. That's what David meant in Psalm 51 when he said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. God's the one we got to get right with and then worry about everybody else. His father interrupted him. You're not here to be a servant, you're my son. He was warm in that embrace, but you know what else? He was warm in his endowment and what he gave him. Back in verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. What did he give him? He gave him a robe. Well, I'm sure he needed a new robe. That, that, that's not what was going on here. This robe spoke of sonship. It harkens all the way back to Joseph. That, that coat of many colors, this robe was symbolic, and it spoke of sonship. Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son." And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Do you understand what this sonship means? It means that when we go to heaven, if you're saved, when we go to heaven, we are as welcome in heaven as Jesus himself. That God is as excited to see us as he was when Jesus came back. That's, that's crazy to me. That's beyond anything I can imagine. But God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Whew. Man. That's sonship. You know what else he gave him? He gave him a ring. You know what that ring symbolized? Authority. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power, that word is exosia, authority, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He gave him a robe, he gave him a ring, and you know what else he gave him? He gave him shoes. What's that mean? You're not a servant. Servants don't wear shoes. You're my son. And I don't want anybody for a second to think that you're a servant. You're my son. What did Jesus say? John fifteen fifteen. henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. Man, what a warm welcome. You see, that rejoicing Papa, we know him because he's watching, and he's been weeping, and he's warding, and he's warm. But then finally, if we could sum it all up, he's wise. He's wise. Wisdom is using the word of God to see things as they are and to act accordingly. Would to God that we had a government that was full of not just smart people, and there's not that many of them either, but of wise people. They can use the word of God to see things as they are and act accordingly. This father saw things as they were. What did he see? Verse number 23. And bring hither... The fatted calf and kill it. You understand, even among the rich people in this economy and in this society, meat was a delicacy. And if you did eat meat, it was probably goat or something like that. But a fatted calf, y'all, we're talking beef. Whew. I don't know about you, I like beef. I like beef better than I like goat. I like beef better than I like ox. You say, you ever ate ox? No. But I expect I like it better. I like beef better than I like moose, and I have eaten that. I like beef better than I like deer. I'm honest with you. I absolutely like beef better than I like bear. Now, I've been told that bear didn't get a fair shake with me, but when I had bear, the more I chewed, the bigger it got. (laughs) And I didn't enjoy it, okay? But I tell you, I know what I'm getting with beef. And you understand that there's a right and a wrong way to cook beef, right? Rare, okay. Medium rare, now you're talking. Medium, I can live with that. Beat him well and well done, get saved. <laughs> he said kill the fatted calf. Why? Because he saw this is what it was. We've been saving that calf. We've been fattening that calf up for a big occasion. And the occasions don't get any bigger than this. But what else does he say? He sees things as they are. Let us eat and be merry. This is not the time to beat him down. This is not the time to put him on probation. This is not the time to give him all kind of hoops to jump through. It's time to be merry. It's time to get excited. It's time to throw a party. Why? Because this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's something else that he says through a servant later on in verse 25 that I think really brings this home. The servant is speaking, but he undoubtedly heard this from the master, from the father. Now, his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother has come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf. Watch this, because he hath received him safe and sound. Now, this is what we're talking about with wisdom, seeing things through the Bible in the right way and acting accordingly. Fundamentally, this father only wanted two things for his boys, that they be safe and that they be sound. Hey, parents, can I talk to you for a minute? We've got to stop wasting our time and effort on stuff that doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying that any of this is a sin. I'm not trying to be unkind. But we put enormous amounts of time and energy and money into things like travel ball and this camp and that thing over there and everything else and give very little attention to them walking with God and being active in his house and staying in his word and learning how to pray and telling their friends about Jesus. And, And we put all kinds of effort into the other stuff to the exclusion of this. And what we find ourselves at the end of this thing is our kids are neither safe nor are they sound. I'm not saying that any of those things are inherently a sin, but if you're doing that to the exclusion of bringing your kids up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, your kids are neither going to be safe nor are they going to be sound. What do I want for my kids? What do I want for Claire? What do I want for Asher? What do I want for the teenagers and the young people of this church and this school? Two things. I want them to be safe, and I want them to be sound. I want them to be doctrinally sound. I want them to be spiritually sound. I want, them to be, uh, I want them to be academically sound. I want them to be sound. And outside of that, nothing else matters. Right. And this father had the wisdom to know that it's not about my son coming back and making sure he pleases me in every jot and tittle and takes over the family business and makes this much money. No, no. Here's all it comes down to. I want my boys to be safe and I want them to be sound. What do I want for this church? Safe and sound. God will take care of the rest. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. This father burned it down to its essence and understood that the only thing that mattered was that his boy was home, safe and sound. Okay, so what? It's a parable. What do I take from that? Listen carefully. There's somebody in here today. There's somebody watching online. You're away from the Father. It could be you've never known him, and you need to be saved. It's time to come to Christ. But maybe you're saved, and you've drifted, and that can happen. You've drifted, and you've gone into a far country, and you're feeling the twinges of famine, the devil would have you believe that it doesn't do any good to try to come back. He didn't want you anyway. <laughs> I mean, you're just going to run away again, right? You're just going to do wrong again, right? Don't you think the Lord's tired of you? Can I tell you, that's something I wrestle with. I, I'm, I'm serious, y'all. If you don't hear anything else, I say you hear this. I wrestle with this a lot, even now. devil gets on my shoulder, flesh starts speaking, the world starts echoing it. How many times you going to mess up? Don't you think the Lord's about sick of you? Don't you think he's about done with you? Don't you think you've gone too far? Don't you think he's just in heaven rolling his eyes in that idiot? That's not our God. That's right, preacher. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. If we confess our sins, yes. he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's implied there every time. Every time. What am I telling you? It's time to come home. If you've never been saved, it's time to come to a home you've never known. And if you're saved and you've drifted from God, it's time to come home. Why? Because he's watching. And he's been weeping. And he's been warding stuff off of you and you didn't even know it. And he'll welcome you home warmly. And you can bask in his wisdom. I am begging you today to come back to your rejoicing, Papa.